0: Hey guys, welcome to another session of PhD Viz. This is Liz. And this is Zine. And um, Zine is actually defending tomorrow. But know, uh... but there's something that's um, even, well, not something I would say more
1: important, but there's this pissy burning topic that we have to address yeah. right now because it's incredibly personal and painful. Um, yes. And just happened a couple days ago. And do you want to talk more about that, Liz, or do you, should I read out? No, go ahead. Lead away. Okay. So, as you probably, as you might know, uh, the question of affirmative action is coming to the Supreme Court, and this has been something that's been a, a quite a while, long time in the making. Well, I mean, obviously, there's been a lot of criticism of affirmative action for a long time, but Abigail Gail Fisher's case at UT Austin has been one particular flashpoint, and now just to, um, in the last couple of days, the Supreme Court Justice Scalia just said this infamous comment. Um, basically accused saying that affirmative action is not good because actually disadvantages African-Americans. And so I'm looking at this, what he says here and he says, there are those who contend that it does not benefit African-Americans to get them into the university of Texas where they do not well, as opposed to them going to a less advanced school, a slower track school where Mm -hmm. they do well. One of the briefs pointed out that most of the black scientists in this country don't come from schools like the university of Texas. They come from lesser schools where they do not feel that they're being pushed ahead in classes that are too fast from them, um, and, he, and that's sort of the bulk of what he said. There's a lot of other comments about like diversity in physics class and so forth, but there's been a lot of really good pieces coming out uh, criticizing him. And Liz and I have been sort of reviewing
0: a lot of them. Say pieces on Vox, ProPublica, Think Progress. Um, Yeah, some Twitter responses from some prominent um, female black scientists like Danielle Lee, who writes for The Scientific American. Um, Judita Eisler, who uh, is a TED fellow and has a really great talk intersectionality as well. And, of course, um, Dr. Chanda Prescott Weinstein. Um, So there have been some really good responses already. Yeah, by
1: some really prominent, amazing a black woman scientists we highly there. recommend that you guys
0: check that out yeah, and um definitely today follow we wanted to contribute and give you guys our our, our take on this tragic event <laughs> <I> <laughs> for know. lack of better words
1: i think liz you started texting me right away or sending me messages on G-Sat. um
0: yeah so i you know i was going about my scientific day doing scientific things
1: <laughs> and
0: um, as one well of the black scientists, he's talking about <laughs> the black scientist, quote unquote. <laughs> and um, I got a message from a friend, and I, he said, "Like, you, can you sit down? Like, are you free? What are you doing? Uh, are you sitting down?" And I was like, "Yeah." What What's happening? And he sends me this link, and you know, I'm still like, "All right, this is gonna be like some GIF of kittens or something." Like, what are we doing? Yeah. And I see the headline, I see the comments, and I, I was, um, I was very upset I, I was um, what I like to describe as um, the angry cry unintelligible like when you're so angry and hurt yeah. um, that you just feel like why why are my eyes kind of wet right now and, and then like no words are really coming out but just like sounds um, it really hurt it actually really did to have that kind of um, um, language just being put out everywhere it's like an attack it felt very undermining Mm -hmm. as a as a scientist as a human being as someone who i just finished my phd and um and uh, the degrees are supposed to give you validity they're supposed to tell the world that you have completed all the requirements given by your advisors and you have contributed a small amount of information to Mm advance science in my case farther, further and and then there's this person saying that i shouldn't be here
1: Mm -hmm. yeah i'd say that this also plays into something that we continually critique but like the limits of respectability politics and like Mm -hmm. again it shows like as a black person in America, it doesn't matter how many degrees you've gotten and how prestigious they might be, you could be like Professor Henry Gates Jr. at Harvard and, you know, yeah. get arrested for
0: trying to get into your own house. But... <laughs> yeah. It, it, yeah. I I. I'm so speechless in some ways. I mean, I guess actually, it's good. I'm kind of calming down now. Mm-hmm. But. Um, I also thought about how. And I talked about this in my introduction podcast that I had a while ago, mm-hmm. that I wanted to study physics from a very young age. And I was just this kid who was just sitting around reading about Einstein and a lot of the discoveries in modern physics. And um, and, and that was what I wanted to do. And I just can't imagine what my life would be like if I didn't do physics or if I didn't go to the math and science school, if I didn't get into UPenn and study physics there. And to think that there might be someone out there who would have said, oh, she's black. Like, you know what? We're She shouldn't go to an Ivy League school. Like, she's actually, we're she's not going to achieve her dream that she doesn't go to an Ivy. Um, let's let her go to another school because we don't want to make things too hard for her. A slower track or whatever the phrase. A thing slower was. track, which in a way is is like also discrimination because you're just saying I can't do it because you're saying that I can't do something because I'm black. Um at any anyway, rate it just I it's just hard to 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 deal with because I'm on the other side and I'm doing quite well and uh and I did well in my physics program and um you ran a women in physics conference i ran a women in physics conference i i've I've done a lot of things and and i don't want to have to keep justifying myself all the time Mm -hmm. for people and and um I, I guess one of the things I th- also thought about was you don't see people writing articles all the time about anybody else's competence, like any other ethnic group's competence all the time, the way you see it about black people. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, can, can we get a break, please? Stop it. There's yeah. too much happening emo- that emotionally wear on students. The last thing I need... Well, or I think anybody needs, while they're trying to do their finals, is to have someone who is a Supreme Court justice, okay? Mm -hmm. Who's supposed to be the person uh, who has been elected to make decisions on some of the biggest issues in this country, who arguably has been, he's been appointed, he's been vetted through uh, multiple channels, and... But at the same time, like, a lot of those
1: justices are just, like he's not an outlier so
0: well yes so so apparently we have the most conservative supreme court that we've ever had Scalia also does have a tendency to um say things like of that nature he just kind of likes to push people's Mm -hmm. buttons he likes to be controversial he's actually said that um when he's gone to visit law schools and and if you're really interested you can um people have been using this hashtag by Scalia Mm -hmm. in reference to this, this racial conversation. Um, But when, right. But when um, the, when the argument was going on about gay marriage, he was also equally horrible and and you can look that up. And so he has his track record for saying and making these horrible assumptions and, and these horrible gestures so in that way I'm not surprised and I think I'm not surprised, but it's still hard to hear that people actually think that way.
1: Yeah. And I was also saying, as you're you're pointing out the context of finals, but it does make me worried, of course, of about, you know, Claude Steele's work on stereotype threat. That, you know, what mm-hmm. if the stereotype yeah. threat isn't even just in the classroom, but like all the media projection of Scalia saying this, and like these chorus from other parts of the media that feel validated by him saying that like everywhere like, you look like even if you try to control stereotype threat within just a class or even just an exam room mm-hmm. like it just shows the way that stereotype threat can still manifest and again as Claude's, claude Steele's work has shown it has demonstrable impact on people and their performance regardless of how intelligent yeah. they are regardless yeah. how prepared they are it really has a visceral, quantitative effect for those Yeah, the book really
0: Whistling Vivaldi, effects. it's a really great reference yeah. to, to talk about this stereotype threat. Now, one of the things I thought was interesting about the comments Scalia made, so he was referencing um, some literature on um, mismatch theory. Yeah, by this UCLA professor. Yeah, and what I found really hurtful is that th- there's this assumption that they're making that the reason why black students don't do as well and i would even argue with that in itself would he define doing as well but but let's get that side let's put that aside and um he's saying that there, the reason why they're not doing well is because they shouldn't have been at that school to begin with and that's just not the right like we, we know that's not what's happening like students are qualified to be there if students are performing well it's not because they are not intelligent it's because of other societal or so other pressures that are going on at the university and trying to cope with those that is why we have all of these offices mm-hmm. sorry and support programs that are there to help students that's why you have counseling a psychological service why you have tutoring centers um it just i does not understand how I guess what I'm trying to say is he. There's, there's a cause and there's an effect, but it's possible to come to the wrong conclusion about why something isn't working the way it is. Yes. And in this case, it absolutely seems like that might be a good conclusion or a good reason to think that's why you get the outcome you're getting, but that's actually not why. That's not actually the system that's truly happening because when you do give students support, when they do see more people like themselves, they do do better, Yeah, right?
1: I also, for our listeners, perhaps wanted to do this brief overview of the way that I see all the different parts of the discussion for this particular episode. So we have mm-hmm. Liz's personal experience, but I think that we're also really trying to address like all arguments that Scalia is drawing on, and um, the studies and the criticism about those, uh, another part is particularly talking with Abigail Fisher case, which for reasons what we'll get into mm-hmm. is slightly different than talking about affirmative action because her case has been held up as this particular um, flagship for this argument. But there's problems with that. And then I feel like that's right. my duty as an Asian North American person who's often been uh, part of the demographic being used as a wedge against black and Latino uh, people to speak out against um, any sort of claim that affirmative action is also, "quote unquote," racist against Asians. So, so there's like at least four things that we're going to be addressing in this podcast. Uh, but one thing I just wanted to get to quickly is pointing out that, um, and a lot of the pieces that have been written, say on Vox and ProPublica and Think Progress, is that the argument that Scalia is making and the argument the UCLA professor whose piece Scalia is quoting drawing from, it, like, they a lot of the data is erroneous. For example, Mm -hmm. there's little evidence to show that black students do not do well at UT Austin. In fact, they have a graduation rate of nearly 70%, which is the highest for black students anywhere in the University of Texas.
0: Yeah, that's impressive.
1: Yeah. So if you're going to take Scully's logic, like the so-called slower track schools are actually where black students don't do as well. So they actually fare better. And it seems like other studies also back this, that um, students just do better if they are admitted admitted to more elite schools. So there's that point. And also as someone who works on race science, there's something that's really resonant with like 19th century race science with him saying like slower track that there's this again this sort of hierarchy of race and hierarchy that's a hierarchy of race which is also built on this presumption of a hierarchy of human development that thinks about races and civilizations as being on different tracks on a normative you know curve of progress, that whiteness is ostensibly, like, at the very forefront of what progress is, whereas, like, blackness is always being construed construed as being separate and inferior and more less developed and more primitive and more behind. And so in this temporal schema, always being um, slower or more behind. And so the very language that he's using is one that goes right back to the 19th century, if not earlier, uh, Mm -hmm. in terms of imposing this type of hierarchy of temporality onto race.
0: So sorry what? that that was that was really a lot of information back Sorry. In there. <laughs> this um, is obviously what I work on. So 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 what you're I'm trying to so what you're saying is that the language that he's using isn't itself racist. Yeah, it is. Well, like it's part of this ongoing
1: discourse of the way that race has been talked about. So, I guess of the things I just voiced is that both within the current scientific discourse the evidence that they're using is specious to begin with but also i'm sort of just giving a longer historical perspective on the language that he's using that he's probably not even aware of that resonate back with infamous race science uh, race, race scientists like samuel morton for example and uh, other people that saw like black and all the races being separate separate
0: but and course, is this going back to are... some of the studies where people actually like I forget the the name for it, but when people want to measure like brain sizes and try to compare. Yes, like, like size and crani- density. Crani- craniography, people.
1: yeah, and phren- phrenology, craniography, mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. That goes right back to those pickler scientists, and I do a lot of work on them. So, like, it just is so striking to me to see so little difference in the language being used both now and then around the same topics, despite whatever sort of view of, of human progress we might have in this country.
0: Despite how much we know that those things are not true, yes. But and... it's sort
1: of like I feel like this even goes back to one of our our episodes just a couple ago that about evidence, right? Um, yeah. Because again, even though again, you could people like, you can easily look up any of these things that we're talking about where studies have clearly refuted a lot of the claims that are being made. Again, like. Um, Just in terms of, like, graduation rates and uh, Mm -hmm. rates of um, Black and STEM students going into academia and so forth. But it's like it doesn't matter. Like, yes, we have that evidence on our side, but it almost doesn't matter that we do because they don't care anyway.
0: Yeah, having gone through the system, as it were, just, uh, again, having three Ivy League degrees, um, I know for a fact that... (coughs) People do well when they're in well-supported spaces, not Mm -hmm. when they're, like, it just doesn't, I I get so angry. It doesn't make sense that black people don't, aren't going to do well if you put them in an environment where they can actually achieve. I don't, I don't understand that. Um, And I don't. I, also, I often find that because I feel so strongly about this, I don't know if people are going to take me seriously when I argue about it, when I, I want people so badly to see how what they're saying is wrong, to see how I have achieved, um, how I deserve and I've earned to be in the spaces that mm-hmm. I am in. I mean, that's also why this kind of hurt because if I'm being honest – it's not like I've never heard before people talking about me or, or I mean, even not about me personally, but just putting out these ideas that Black people don't deserve do not earn the opportunity to get educated in some of the best places in the nation. And um, like those perceptions are all around. And I, I mean, I have way too many stories of times that I've heard people say these kinds of things. And so it hurt because I hadn't heard it in a while, uh-huh. one thing. And the other thing is that I guess I wanted to believe that getting my PhD, that I was finally over the hump and I was into the space where, you know, I'm being valued as a scientist and what I can contribute. And I have made it across. Like I, I'm being respected when I walk into a room And now, you know, all it takes is someone like that to say something and have you all across the news and then to have people look at you twice when you walk into a room and go, did you take my spot? Or did you – or, you know, are you here because – of not because of your own merit? And um, it's just frustrating. And then God forbid, like who knows how this is actually affecting people who haven't even started their paths and they're trying to get into these spaces. It's so difficult. It, it, you have to do so much. I mean there, there's all the studies and there's all this talk when you get into a room of black scientists and you talk to them, you'll hear them talk about how um, there's this impression you have to be twice as good to to make it work. And in a way, you have to be you have to be good to get in nobody's gonna take you into a program if you're not good Mm -hmm. and i hate this assumption that that blacks are getting some sort of advantage of of any sort when they're qualified they are meant they're gonna be there if anything they've been vetted beforehand because they're not just gonna take any kind of black person into a program you know there's all sorts of politics that go into this and um whether that's right or wrong, yeah, it's just hard. I was, I was angry. I'm still angry, mm-hmm. and I'm also I, hurt in this way that I can't really explain. Because who am I hurt at? Who, mm-hmm. who has hurt me? Who is taking me? Who can I actually ask for an apology from? And, and it really, it's no one. It's society,
1: mm-hmm. like the sort of trauma that makes up your identity, but is can't be directed to anything one source. And then who it, they. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say that your comment reminded me a lot of Dr. Chanda's tweet, which oh, said yeah. something very similar, which was like that it's not so much like a Scalia's comment that bothers her, but it's representative of so many comments that she's gotten, hundreds of comments she's gotten mm-hmm. through her entire life, her entire career. Yeah. And so, like as you're saying, like it's not just his one comment; it's like reflective of this entire society that is that is trying to invalidate your in your very existence.
0: Yeah. And it it, it felt like the reason why it felt like a personal attack was because they automatically targeted black students Mm -hmm. for this affirmative action thing. And then I don't know why, but they even targeted the, they mentioned black scientists in particular. And it's like, why? Why, What? I mean, Abigail Fisher isn't even, she wasn't even going to study science. So I didn't really understand why there's a a focus on black scientists. I don't understand why there's a focus on black people when affirmative action helps any underrepresented minority in whichever situation it might be, which means it could be women, um, Hispanics, Native Americans, um, Pacific Islanders, like Asians also. And so it didn't really, it it felt like once again, black people are being singled out for something. And it it just felt really personal because I do have experiences of people coming up to me, and just saying, like, I would have gotten into some ex school if, you know, if it weren't for black people. And I'm like, y- I, well, okay, I don't think that's true. I didn't even apply to the school that you're going to. Um, it doesn't make sense. And also, why am I bearing the burden, that individual burden for that? Mm-hmm. Um, which is another point. And that's that when you, when you, call out black students and you say black scientists do not deserve to be in a place, they are unqualified. When you put that in people's heads, then it raises a question for everyone. So now there's tons of people who walk by and are questioning whether you're qualified. And you are qualified. And you've always been qualified. There's nothing that changed that person from before his comments to after Scalia's comments. But now there's this kind of... It's just... It's hard. Well, so I was going to say that's also particularly pernicious about his comments
1: is that it's framed in this language of of almost like this kind of kindness that he's trying to say that, um, yeah, you know, it's like, oh, we're doing black scientists a favor, like black people a favor because like mm-hmm. black scientists seem to benefit more if they're not put into like schools that are too fast for them, quote unquote. And so it's this really condescending language that completely um, erases, say like, the different support systems that say like um, HBCUs historically black um, colleges and universities mm-hmm. have for, for students, which is why they have a higher proportion of blacks and STEM students going into academia. Um, it's just this really condescending way that, again, for, for my research, goes back to like 19th century racism, where people were, had these hierarchies of race ostensibly for the good of everyone who wasn't white. Like, it wasn't because of out yeah. of this hatred, but it's like, oh, we know what's really better for you people of color, especially black people. And, like, yeah. what's really best for you is to not be in these elite spaces because you can't handle it. And, like, that's actually better for you. And we're doing it because we're being nice. And so, like, the mismatch theory in general and then Scalia's usage of that, again, sort of reinforces this language of condescension of this, um, yeah, this attempt at this sort of sympathetic, like, this use of sympathy that
0: naturalizes this type of racism basically it was entirely condescending mm-hmm. and the stats i um oh man i should really try to break it up but the if you read through some of the briefs i think they were saying 36 percent of um black scientists come from hbcus 36 percent is not a majority i mean that still means that what 64 Sixty four. Am I getting this right? If it's 36, 64. Um, a huger percent, a huger, yeah, a larger percent of people um, who are becoming scientists are going to um, to private white institutions, and um, I mean, just on a more general note about that, just think if you if trying to tally black scientists who and what schools they come from. Um, it seems like yet again, like picking on black students when it's, it's not a black student phenomenon. It's an all kind of scientist phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Um, so studies that are done to look at people who are professors at schools and then asking what their pedigree is. And if you backtrack all of that, you'll find that the majority of people who are getting tenure and places come from a very small pool of people. Mm-hmm. A, a, sorry, a very small pool of institutions. Um, if you ask any academic, there's this kind of pervasive idea that if you want to secure your future, you should, you need to, at some point, have been educated at an Ivy, preferably for your postdoc or for your PhD. Um, and that's not a black thing. That's not a black scientist thing. That's, that's anyone trying to be competitive in the scientific industry. So, so it it just felt like there were there were instances where they're trying to say that black people are. Oh, we're we're trying to look out for them, and they won't do this well if they don't put these in the spaces. Or black people aren't doing well when a lot of people may not be doing well. It's college; they're eighteen. People actually do drop out. That's not a black student issue Mm -hmm. to drop out. It's definitely not a black student issue to lose interest in science this country in general has an issue with science education yes. otherwise why would there be so many announcements about um america lagging behind in science and mathematics and trying to push people to doing those fields that's not a black issue but they're making it a black student issue to try to argue that their point that black students shouldn't be in these schools and and that's wrong and it seems like in that case it's also trying to and and
1: and version of this happening of so often like they're trying to create an issue that is institutional and systemic about science education in general as well as systemic racism into like a fault of these individual students that are somehow you know being unfairly at, at, given advantage to also another thing that we should point out is that I've seen like um some comments well I think there's, there has been have been studies but I was trying to look up to what exactly the site that white legacy students are the ones that get tend, get to, tend to be given the most advantage absolutely over, <laughs> over any other people of color or whatever other sort of disadvantaged category oh my you want to God. make that legacy becomes this way that um, this one phrase I think from the New York Times with affirmative action for the rich in a way yeah so it puts children of alumni uh, ahead and so that implicitly like it doesn't even pretend any sort of merit it has to do with with money and affiliation and history. People Just do get city.
0: legacy points. Yeah. You legacy get points, points for athletes. You get points. Um, I mean, I think this goes into, even into a, probably could even go to a broader discussion about institutions and branding and what they stand for and what they look for. Because I kind of got some insight into this when I actually had to be on an admissions committee myself and, and, Schools actually do want diversity and they want to be able to say, and I'm sorry, they want diversity for a lot of things, one of which is actually to keep recruiting the best students. Mm-hmm. So they want to be able to say in their brochures um, that we have students from all 50 states and X amount of countries. They want to be able to say that they have students who have formed these clubs, who have done these competitions, performed this well in this place. We want alumni to have done this. Um, Have you ever walked around campus while they're giving a campus tour? What are they talking about? Are they asking, are they telling you how great their physics class was or what their actual classrooms are like? Probably not, but they are telling you about the new gym they just found, they just set up how their sports team is doing, all the kind of activities you can do at home, how good the food is, how good the activities, the student activities are, um, they're going to have you walk by just as like the South Asian troupe is doing their dance and the black acapella groups are singing or whatever it is. And so that's a part of recruiting. And if you don't have those people on campus, they can't see them on campus. Mm hmm. Uh, I mean, like, that's a kind of cynical view, but it's also very true that that is kind of what happens. You're trying to, like, diversity also helps recruit the next batch of awesome students, and you need to see that. You need those experiences there. So I guess what I'm ultimately trying to say is that universities hire or admit students for their own devices as well as for the altruistic sake of keeping those students in, and I, yeah, I diversity
1: just... works not just for the Ugh. students. Who, not diversity operates in a number of ways. Like diversity operates to, of course, benefit the diverse students, but also operates to, to benefit. Diversity benefits the whole student population, mm-hmm. but it also benefits the institution and yes. in terms of its branding. And obviously, the type of advantages are very different for each of these groups. But it sort of shows that when we have discussions about diversity. Sometimes it might cloak how, in a cynical way, like, obviously it's also part of a university's brand. Um, there's other ways that it functions, both in terms of, like, helping to create more critical thinking. And I think um, the Vox piece, for example, like, cites some studies that show that uh, greater diversity at a university is also correlated with um, better critical thinking and just better a better intell- intellectual atmosphere in general. Mm-hmm. And that's obviously obviously true, but another sort of truth is also that it looks good for... <laughs> A university to have that, and that's part of their, you know, United Colors of Benetton type brochure, (laughs) where Liz's face has appeared on a number of occasions.
0: Yes, I am well represented (laughs) in Cornell publications right now. Yeah. Um, maybe we should talk. Would you want to talk about the Abigail Fisher? Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's see. Should should we give background on the the case?
1: Yeah, so for those of people who don't know, Abigail Fisher was um, the white legacy student who complained that UT Austin didn't admit her, and her case is, being the, one, is the one that's being used at the forefront of this discussion to discredit affirmative action. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, I was just thinking that we're sort of talking about how she's been used now as this figure um, of this entire campaign, but there's, there's a lot of problems with her case. Like, first of all, that if we were to look at the level of just pure merit, Ends, yeah. which is problematic in a number of ways but if we were to take that as a basis like her her scores were just not good enough
0: so the University of um, Texas at Austin has always said like their defense has always been that even if they didn't have race um, race based admissions in any way she still wouldn't have gotten in
1: Yeah, like her because grade point she, average was 3.59 and her SAT scores were 118
0: I was very shocked to see that it was like I didn't I didn't invest this much in the case. And then I thought, okay, if I'm going to critique it, let me start reading about it. And I look at her numbers and I'm like, are you serious? Are you serious right now? Yeah. Like you cannot. You got to be kidding me.
1: So it's like the 80th something percentile, so 1180 out of
0: 1600. I, I mean, again, she is okay. I I mean, I was just <laughs> I laughed cuz that was hilarious that she had any kind of demand to get into any school with those grades and those scores, even if it were only based on grades and scores alone. But anyway, please continue. Yeah, and so some other s- stats to bring
1: up. I'm looking at this particular ProPublica article, um, is to point and out. And the ProPublica
0: that... article, sorry, is written by Nicole Hannah Jones, who's a really great writer um, and writes on some other things about integration, which are really interesting. So, sorry, just wanted
1: to. to shout also that out. also to point Go out ahead. that there is 168. Black and Latino students whose grades were as good or better than Fisher's, who were also denied entry to the university that year. Mm-hmm. Um, on top of that, it is true that apparently the university did offer provisional admission to some students with lower test grades and um, scores than hers, but only five of those students were Black Latino, and forty-two were white. And no one mentions
0: those forty-two white kids that got in. Yeah. And, and course, yeah. Sorry. You and probably sorry. Didn't and so, this. like, the,
1: and so, of course, um, UT Austin they have this particular policy that. If you're in the top 10% of any of the Texas high schools, you get taken in. And then after that, they weigh both um, grade point average and SAT scores um, with the personal achievement factors. And mm-hmm. even if she received points on those as well, on top of her mediocre scores, that still wouldn't have been enough. Just to put that out there. Yeah. Sorry, continue. Also,
0: she was granted admission. So they apparently she was offered the option to transfer to UT Austin after her second year. So if you have a certain GPA, you can transfer from one Texas school to another. And she didn't want to do that either. So she could have actually gone to UT Austin. Yeah. Just not as a freshman. So, yeah, again, her case is very problematic. I mean, I'm actually surprised there is a case because, excuse me, because that's just, that, I mean, yeah, now I know why you didn't get in. I know. It's not the most flawless case you could have chosen to do it,
1: but I don't know. It almost but again, the case like isn't
0: completely about her.
1: Sorry, go ahead. It made me think of, I don't know, if it doesn't really work as an analogy, but, you know, they're trying to, like, use her as, like, the Taylor Swift as the poor, injured, innocent oh. white girl.
0: Or they're trying to...
1: affirmative action Kanye, so to speak.
0: Oh. Yeah. So, I know
1: it doesn't map on pretty well, but, it, it like, I feel like that's part of reason why, like, even though her her actual stats aren't that good in terms of her becoming a figurehead like there's just something about her parents like this innocence that
0: yeah I'm kind of curious if they kind of prepped her to dress that way in any case Mm -hmm. um, it's very clear that this case isn't about her so much as like she's the poster child and they are using this to to I guess weigh in on sentiment because I've actually heard a lot of people in who are taking her side? Who will say, um, "Well, if you're good, then how come we? If a black person's equally qualified, how come you need affirmative action? And you're just taking people's spots and making a crutch." And and they're kind of taking her the case and saying, "Like, oh yeah, you didn't get it. I didn't get in, and I'm bet this black kid took my spot." And it's like, "Well, stop saying you bet someone took your spot. You don't actually know that." And and also, you didn't have a spot. I mean, this idea that you have a spot. Mm-hmm. doesn't make sense. It's just how so entitled some people are. I mean, that you could even suppose that.
1: It's sort of interesting.
0: And then, um, if think about this Abigail Fisher case, so they mentioned that, um, um, so they were trying to give this, oh, they were using another example and I think it was about um, UNT Chapel Hill, actually, and they wanted to say then in this class something like 66 black students were admitted and they wanted to say like all 100% of them were admitted whereas only 42 whites and 42% of whites and 47% of Asians were admitted or something like that and it was just interesting how they said so they gave percentages and 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 they sorry they gave percentages but it doesn't make sense when you should be giving the raw numbers so you're upset that 66 black people got in um and then you say 42% of of whites got in well how many is that is that a thousand is that two thousand? Mm-hmm. Um, if we're talking about the freshman class of UNC Chapel Hill, it might be close to like the two thousand. I think, um, if there's like thirty two hundred or something like that, and um, it just doesn't it doesn't make sense. It's almost like any black student that gets in, they're going to be upset about, and people should be really questioning that reaction from themselves. Um, why is it that? this small percentage of people makes you angry or feel like you're Mm -hmm. like someone took something from you personally yeah and also one thing i'd like to add
1: add to this whole discussion is um why i think it's so important for me as an as an asian north american person to give voice don't claim that you're really just um that you're worried about affirmative action because you're worried about the poor asian americans being discriminated against um, under, there was over 160 Asian American and Pacific Islander uh, organizations that filed briefs supporting affirmative action, action in the Fisher case. And you could look at like AsianAmericanCivilRights.org and see like there are so many different groups that of Asian American groups that are in support of affirmative action. Don't use us as your wedge against Black people, against Hispanics, or against other minorities. In the name of like holding us up as some apparently injured model minority which is problematic for so many reasons Uh, but this there was this whole hashtag that went around on asian american twitter hashtag edu for all and like i also Mm -hmm. tweeted for that like of all these asian americans saying like no don't pretend that you're being offended about affirmative action in our name of course there are some asian americans who who do have that type of view but it's not the view of so many organizations um let's see on think Think Progress, they have this one great stat. Um, although Asian-Americans are often portrayed as opposing race-conscious affirmative action, 69% of Asian-American and Pacific Islanders registered to vote in California support the policy. And again, all these advocacy groups writing in favor of affirmative action, because, first of all, like we, I think what a lot of these groups are recognizing is that uh, racial discrimination is completely comparative, that historically... Um, we Asian Americans have been used as a wedge against other minority groups and obviously we have participated in our own forms of anti-blackness but also like Asian Americans also stand to benefit from this as well because it's not all like the successes that you see of Chinese and and South Koreans and Japanese um, mm-hmm. what about the poor in those demographics there are also Southeast Asians like Laotians um, the Vietnamese, Filipinos like they mm-hmm. um, their plights are being obscured under the banner of model minority and their uh, the systemic problems within their communities and their place in American society isn't being acknowledged because of that um yeah those are the things that immediately come to mind but it just is so infuriating to me to see that people are ostensibly offended on behalf of Asian Americans in general yeah
0: did you have any kind of first reactions when you heard about those comments to the Scalia's one specifically yeah
1: I felt, I think I saw that pop up on my Facebook tw- uh, feed. And I just, I felt angry, but I don't think, obviously it didn't hit me this really in the same way, but it just made me angry because I know you. We have so many other friends who are, who are black in STEM and it's just, it's stupid. Like I already know how many things you have to go through and it just is more. It just, it just con- continually affirms the mainstream and popular viability of this entire discussion that means that then so many other like little microaggressions in your everyday lives are going to feel are going to be further perpetuated and for you your sake I just feel so tired and and like I just obviously worry about like what kind of support can I give you as a friend again I'm trying to point that I'm speaking out against um, how Asian Americans can be used but against um, affirmative action but like when you're messaging me and, and texting me and I was just trying to think like, how can I, as a friend, support you the best I can? And Aww. I think that at one point you're almost apologetic and I look back to my text when you're like, oh, I might be a little bit unreasonably upset. I'm like, no, this is not unreasonable. <laughs> you're allowed to be upset. <laughs> like, don't, don't even apologize for this. Like, I'm your friend and I care about you and I know how hard you work. I know how smart and competent you are, but that it doesn't matter to these people. It's just, oh my goodness. It's almost like, I feel like so many of our episodes have to reiterate the same things, of course, in different ways. And yeah. but like it's because that these things are so pervasive all the time. Like all we could do is like repeat and repeat. And and sometimes it becomes exhausting to fight those battles too.
0: Yeah, I wasn't trying to fight this week. I was trying to be nice. I was trying to do my work, and um, it just felt because it was an attack. Again, like here's this affirmative action word and here it is black scientist. um when affirmative action helps so much more than black people and when and it yeah it just it just felt like here we go again and um all the stuff that has ever been said or done um it felt like it was a big eraser and then there's like this wall of my accomplishments and it's going like yep Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're just going to put, like, but you're black underneath all of the accomplishments. Yeah. So the the, the
1: satire column in the New Yorker, the Borowitz Report, I like to have this mm-hmm. one um, headline. A new study conducted by legal scholars indicates that Justice, Justice Antonin <laughs> Scalia would fare better if he served as a judge at a court that was less advanced than the U.S. Supreme Court.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah I saw According to was the was
1: study, Sculley's struggles to perform his duties in a competent fashion stem from his being inappropriately placed on a court that is quote too demanding for a person of his limited abilities. Yeah, <laughs> and so it perfectly like mimics the type of condescension that he was yeah using towards black scientists.
0: It just doesn't make sense. If you give people opportunities, they will rise to the occasion. They will learn. Um, and black groups. I'm um, sorry. The black population is just as homogenous as any other group. You mean heter? Hetero- sorry, you're yeah. right. It's just as yeah. heterogeneous as any other group. <laughs> and so, I mean, I mean, I, even thinking about, if I use Asians as an analogy. You can tell me if this is wrong or not. But, mm-hmm. you know, there's sometimes there's this perception that Asians are like the, the perfect model minority. Like, they're really good at math and science. They are always obedient or whatever that case may be. And it's like they're not all the same. They don't all have the same – they don't all want to do the same stuff. Or they're all good the same stuff. And um, sorry, I don't know where that's going. I might actually delete that. But, well, that's okay. <laughs> um, but again, just thinking about how they're trying to put all these numbers about whether blacks are successful or not successful, but they're not also telling me how they're measuring that success. And they're also not saying how, you know, like they just put up something that said blacks aren't successful. And I'm like, what do you mean we're not successful? I thought I was being successful. You know, like where is that coming from? How are you saying we're not successful? Like, why why are you attacking us in this way? What did Mm -hmm. we do to you? But give you like all the social entertainment that you could ever want, <laughs> um, uh, and then we end up with Miley
1: Cyrus twerking.
0: Oh, that's it. Sorry. It just, I just don't. I still don't understand. I still find it hurtful. I have. I um. I I guess I just feel helpless. I wish there was something besides this that I could really do, to change minds to change logic because it just seems so illogical like when i think about it's like uh obviously that's not true but for some people like they've got these books and they've got this stuff and they're like nope actually nope see it's written right here blacks don't do well because they're not they're not smart enough and it's like no Zion and i ended up talking about this for a few hours so we decided to cut it off there we hope that you got something informative from this conversation. We hope that you saw a sense of solidarity and the very importance of this matter to us and how it affects us. Hopefully this will give you something to talk about when you're at your dinner table or you're out with your friends. And on a happier note, um, please follow us. We will still be doing the podcast. Um, we will be probably taking a hiatus for Christmas, but we'll be back. You can find us on PHDiva's page on Facebook, Twitter. You can also find us on SoundCloud and iTunes and Stitcher. Peace.